All right, Jabal, say good morning. Let's, uh, let's begin. So we left off yesterday. We left off yesterday um, on Gimel Ahmed Aleph. Gimel Ahmed Aleph, four lines down. So if remember again, the Gemara left off yesterday with the statement that Lamaisa, a person who hears but does not see, excuse me, person who hears but does not speak, or or again, someone who speaks but does not hear is chayiv in simcha, chayiv in of simcha v'yantiv. But what? But pater from reiyah. So the Gemara asks, "Mashna le inyan reiyah deptiri, umashna le inyan simcha demechayvi." Why is it that ultimately, again, why is it that by reiyah the person is pater, this person who's lacking either hearing or hearing or speaking, and by yet by simcha is chayiv? To which the Gemara answers, Because when it comes to Re'iyah, we have a Gzer Shava of Re'iyah, Re'iyah from Hakel. But remember, what is Hakel? Hakel is the Sukkis after Shemitah. There is, again, it's going to be next Sukkis for us. There's, going to, there's always a massive gathering in the courtyard of the Beis HaMikdosh. The king reads the Torah, and everyone comes together ultimately again to learn. This is on the, this is on the second night of Sukkis, on the Sukkis after Shemitah year. So we learn it out from Re'iyah, from Hakel. What does it say about Hakel? Hakel the Torah says, gather the people, men, women, and children. And the Pasuk says, when all of Yisrael comes together, so the Mar says, therefore, the same way it says Re'iyah by Hakel, it says Re'iyah by, by, by Yom Tov. So we'll say, so what does that do with anything? So how do we know that by Re'iyah of Hakel, if you're missing either what? Either hearing or the ability to speak, that you are potter from hakel, because the Pasuk says, because the Pasuk says, in order that you will go ahead and hear, and that you will learn. What does teach us? Since by hakel it says that you have to hear what the king is saying, that comes to include what? Someone who speaks but does not hear. So someone who is deaf, is exempt from hakel. And in order that you will learn, this comes to exclude someone who hears but does not speak. Are you trying to say, therefore, if someone can't speak, they don't have the ability to learn? Well, say, listen to this. There were these two mute, these two mutes, two men who were mute, and who were in the neighborhood of Rebbe, and they were the son of the daughter of Rabbi Yochanan ben Gudgida. Others say, no, they were the sons of the sister of Rabbi Yochanan. What happened? Every time Rebbe would go into the basement, just to give a shear, these two mute, these two mutes would go ahead and come and sit right in the front of the shear, right in front of Rebbe. And what happened? What would they do? They would go ahead and shake their heads. They would, they would shake their heads. And they would move their lips. They'd move their lips. So we'll say, so again, obviously, it's not, it wasn't immediately clear exactly what they knew or what they didn't know. No, what happened? Rebbe Davin for them. The Itsu, and they were healed. And we'll say, listen to this. The Ishtachach, the Havugamiri Hilchasa, the Sifra, the Sifri, the Kulashas. 
And I will say it turned out that these two individuals, of course, were learning the entire time. They soaked up all of this information, and they were proficient in all of these different areas of Torah. So I will say the point that Gemara is making over here is speech doesn't have the ability, doesn't, doesn't mean, speech does not indicates whether or not the person has the ability to learn. Even if a person, again, ultimately can't speak at all, they still have the ability to learn. Oh, Omar Marzutra, Kari Bey, Laman Yila Meidu. Even though the Pasuk is read as Laman Yilmadu, it should be vocalized as how? Laman Yila Meidu. Yila Meidu means what say? To teach. To teach. You go to Hakel in order to teach. So I'll say, so what does that mean? Look at Rashi for just a moment. We'll say, so the way the Gemara is understanding it now is the following. When the pause says, you come to Hakel, what's the point of Hakel? So that you could learn, you could hear. And you can teach it to others. So we'll say, what good is amassing spirituality? What good is amassing Torah if you can't convey it to others. Again, it doesn't mean a person has to give a shear. It doesn't mean a person has to, has to teach a large number of people. But it means that a person has to find a way to be a conveyor, a teacher of Torah, to his family, to his friends, to people within his circles. It, it, that's, that's the whole point of learning, to be able to convey it to others. Therefore, again, because the person without speech is unable to convey it, therefore he's exempt from hakel. Ravashi, Ravashi says, Vadai l'man yilamedu. Ravashi says, you have to read it as l'man yilamedu. Why? Because if you think that it's just l'man yilamedu, that you should learn. Is that true that if he can't speak, he's not able to learn? But I will say, again, that I can make the argument, if a person can't hear, he's not able to learn, at least in the times of the Gemara. And I'd be able to learn that out from the phrase of Laman Yishmu. So therefore, why would I need Laman Yilmadu? Therefore, Abba is coming to teach us what? Laman Yilamedu. And that Halacha Lamai, so the person who can't speak, is therefore exempt from Hakel. So Abba what comes out according to that Limud is the following. So essentially now, there is a Gzir Shava from Re'iyah of the Regalim to Re'iyah of Regal. And just like by, excuse me, to Re'iyah of Hakel. And just like by Re'iyah of Hakel, someone who hears but does not speak is potter from Hakel. Someone who speaks but does not hear is potter from Hakel because of Laman Yishmu U Laman Yilamedu. The Gzeru Shava to Re'iyah of Yom Tov says that these individuals, a person who can't hear or a person who can't speak, are also potter from Aliyah Leregel, from Re'iyah on Yom Tov. Am Rabbi Tanchum. Rabbi Tanchum said, So let's say a person is deaf in one ear. In one ear, not in both ears, but just in one ear. So potter in our ear. Such an individual is potter from being ola regal. For literally from seeing the base of the shneemar. Because we'll say, interestingly enough, this is a pause, this phrase, th- that word is not by Re'iyah, is not by is not by going up to Besamitash on the pilgrimage festivals. That word is by Hakel. So by Hakel it says that you have to speak into their ears. Literally the Pasik is uh neged uh, So again remember we still have the Xera Shava of of Re'iyah, Re'iyah. Uh, right, Re'ia, Re'ia, from Hakel to 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 Aliyah Regal, and therefore again, just like by Hakel, it says by Oznehem, you have to hear in both ears. So to again by Re'ia, you have to also be able to hear with both ears. But that's not true. What that Oznehem teaches us 
is that the words of the king when he reads the Torah and Hakel have to be heard by all of the people, meaning that Hakel must be an assembly of the entire nation. Hahu mineget kol Yisrael nafka. We learn that out from the phrase of that he ha- the king has to stand opposite the entire Jewish people. Everyone has to be assembled. So one second, imineget kol Yisrael. Well, that can't, that can't be true because if I just learn out that the entire people have to assemble from the phrase of mineget kol Yisrael, hav amina afagav shami. I would have thought that it's okay as long as everyone shows up even if they don't all hear, it's okay. Therefore, Therefore, the Pasuk says that they have to hear it in their ears to teach us that it's not just enough to be present at Hakel, but rather what? A person must actually hear as well. To which the Gemara answers, Therefore, we learn out this halacha from the phrase of Laman Yishmu. If a person is crippled in one leg, let's say a person is lame in one leg, so what is the halacha? He is exempt from aliyah l'regel. He's exempt ultimately again from going to the basement of Shneemar. So I'll say, because it's actually interesting, Joshua, because the Pasuk says regalim, which we could also vocalize as how? As raglayim. So because, again, the vocalization is raglayim, it means that a person has to have two able feet in order to be chayiv in re'iyah. Now, says, one second. V'ha regalim or raglayim mi prat le But actually, we use that Russia later on to teach us that this comes to exclude someone about say ba'alei kabin. If you look at Rashi here for just a moment, Rashi says, prat le kabin, kishachatchu raglayim. About say, if a person had chashom his leg amputated, nosnu kav katan besov shoko, v'nosin bo, v'nosin bo muchin, v'somuch shoko alov. So about say, essentially, this was a Talmudic prosthetic, right? So the idea is a person had their leg amputated, they would put the stump essentially into like a wooden leg that had a hollowed out receptacle. They would put rags to, to, to actually to just make the, to make the wood a little bit softer, and that's how a person would walk around. So a person could actually have two feet like that, wooden legs. So the idea, the Gemara says later on, that a person with wooden legs is exempt from aliyah l'regel, to which the Gemara says, no, 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 hahu mipamim nafka. Obviously, we actually learn out the, that exemption from the word pamim. The Gemara says, this sign, pamim, when the Pasuk says pamim, pamim, also meaning shalosh pamim, pashana. Right? Literally, the Pasuk by the Ali of the regal three times a year. So what does it mean, pamim? This sign, pamim, ain't pamim, ela, ela raglayim. So we'll say pamim, pamim ultimately means what? Pamim means feet, feet. That ultimate, or legs, that in order for a person to be chayv and ali of the regal, ultimately again, they have to go ahead and actually have feet. Omer, and it quotes over here the Pasuk, Tir semena regal. We're going to say the Pasuk, Gemara is going to quote from the Pasuk from Yeshaya. Tir semena regal, literally the leg or the foot will trample. Ragle ani, the, the, tir semena regal, ragle ani, the foot will trample, the foot of the poor. Pa'ame dalim. The souls of the soul, S-O-L-E. The soul, ultimately, again, of the impoverished. So, Bosa, you see this idea that in this context, that shoresh of pa'am, right, pa'amim, ultimately means what? The actual soul of the feet, or the actual feet themselves. The Omer, furthermore, the Pasuk says, so, Bosa, what the Gemara is suggesting over here, just to follow this train of thought, the Gemara is trying to show that a chiger, that a person who's lame in one leg, is potter from re'iyah, is potter from aliyah l'regal. So the Gemara wanted to darshan that that's because the Pasuk says regalim, which we could vocalize as raglayim, to which the Gemara says, no, 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 you can't use out raglayim because raglayim is used for something else, ba'alei kabin, to which the Gemara says, no, ba'alei kabin is learned out from the phrase 
Pamim, because Pamim, as much as Pamim means times for our purposes, the Gemara has just proven that the word Pamim also means feet. Also means feet, also means legs. And therefore, the Maisa what? The Maisa what? The Maisa, we learn out from there that in order to be Chayv and Ali of the Regal, you have to have your own legs. If you don't have your own legs, you have a prosthetic, you have something artificial, then the Maisa, you are exempt from Ali of the Regal. Now, I will say, now once the Gemara brought this up, the Gemara takes it a little bit further. For, for the Omer, furthermore, the Pasik says, Ma Yafu Pa'amaich. <laughs> Again, Gemara's going to from the Pasik in Tehillim. How beautiful are your footsteps? In your shoes, Bas Nediv, daughter of the noble ones. What is that talking about? What does it mean when it says, How beautiful are your footsteps in your sandals, in your shoes, the daughter of the nobleman? Kama noin raglein Yisrael has such a beautiful idea. How beautiful are the feet of the Jewish people? Sha'olin Laregal. How else you know it's amazing is you know the foot is often a part of the body that gets so dirty and gets so fashmutzed. But yet again, the feet of Klali Sral, when we are all regal, even when they're covered in dust and everything like that, how beautiful they are ultimately again because they're being used to ascend to Yerushalayim. It's a beautiful idea. Bas Nadiv, what does it mean, the daughter of the nobleman? The daughter of Avram Avinu, who was called the nobleman, Shena Amar, Nedive Amim Neesafu, the nobleman of the nations gathered, Am Elokei Avraham, the nation of the God of Avraham. Elokei Avraham, Velo Elokei Yitzchok, but he's only the God of Avraham, not the God of Yitzchok, Yitzchok Yaakov. Ela Elokei Avraham, why does it associate God with the God of Avraham? Why does, or why does it call God the God of Avram? Because we'll say Avram Avinu, Kashbarucho identifies particularly with Avram Avinu. Why? Because he was the first convert, so to speak. He didn't convert, of course, to Judaism. There's no Judaism, but he was the first real convert in a long time to monotheism. Rav Kahana Darish. Rav Kahana, excuse me. Rav Kahana said, Darish Rav Nosem Brahminyom Yishum Rabbi Tanchum. So we'll say, you know, as often happens in the Gemara, so once we go ahead and we quote a particular person in something related to our topic, so we, it's, not, it's not difficult for us to go off topic a little bit. So the Gemara says, Rav Kahana said that Rav Nosem Brahminyom Yishum Rabbi Rabbi Tanchum, May Dixiv Abarek Eim Bomayim. What does it mean when it says that the pit was empty, there was no water? This is by Yosef. Right, that Yosef was thrown into the empty pit. So what does it mean that the pit was empty, there was no water? After you told me that, that the pit was empty, that you remember again, this is when the brothers wanted to first kill Yosef, then sell Yosef. So what is, if, obviously, if you tell me the pit is empty, I know there's no water in there. To which the Gemara says, but rather the Pasuk is coming to emphasize there's no water in the pit. However, there was no water, but what is there, Bosai? There were snakes and scorpions. Tanra Abonam. Bosai is, is, is beautiful also. Tanra Abonam. Ma'aseb Rabbi Yochanan ben Barokov, Rabbi Lazar ben Chasma, Shahochu lahak bel penei Rabbi Yoshua ben Pekim. So we'll say one time it happened that Rabbi Yochanan ben Barokov and Rabbi Lazar ben Chamsa went to visit their Rabbi, Rabbi Yoshua, in Pekim. In Pekin, I will say, look at Rashi. What is in the Hakbil Panov? Yom Tov Haya, Shechayev Adam Lechabet Esrabo Bak Balas Panakidamim Mesechas Rosh Hashanah, Madu Ata Lechas Hayom Lachodesh Lo Shabbos. I will say, there is a halacha that one is supposed to visit their Rebbe on Yom Tov. I'm supposed to visit their Rebbe on Yom Tov. So therefore, again, Rabbi Yochanan ben Baroka, Rabbi Elazar are going to visit their Rebbe, Rabbi Yoshua, in Pekin on Yom Tov. Amr Lahem, so Rabbi Yoshua asks his Talmidim, Tell me, what, you know, tell me something good. What chiddush, what novelty, what new idea did they advance in the Beis Medrash today? 
Amrulo, Amrulo. So look, look what they said to Rabbi Yoshua. Rabbi, Talmideich Anu. Rabbi, we are your students. And we drink your water. In other words, Rabbi, we didn't come here to tell you what we learned. We came here, why? To learn from you. So Amr Lahans, Rabbi Yoshua says, Afa Pikain. Right, so Rabbi, Rabbi Yoshua says, that's fine, I'm going to teach you also, but tell me, there's no such thing as a base medrash without a chiddush. Meaning there's no such thing as a group of, of Torah, Torah scholars getting together without advancing some novel idea. Tell me what came out, what, what was said. So, so he says, furthermore, he says, Shabbos Shami Haisa. Whose week was it? Now, what he's referring to over here is remember the Gemara Mesechus Brachas, where, where Rabbi Gamliel is deposed from being the Nasi. Rabbi Lozab and Azaria replaced him. But then over time, Rabbi Lozab and Azaria and Rabbi Gamliel actually shared the mantle of the Nasius. So Rabbi Gamliel lectured three weeks, three Shabbosos. Shabbos means a week, three weeks out of the month. And Rabbi Lozab and Azaria did one. So Rabbi Yoshua asked, Tell me, whose week was it? Who's because in the base Madrash? So the answered him, Shabalazab and Azariah Haisa. It was Rabalazab and Azariah this week. Ubama Haisa Hagada Hayom. And Rabbi Yoshua says, Sinu, tell me, what did they learn today in the base Madrash? Amrlubah Parashas Hakel. Rabbi, they were learning the parish of Hakel. The parish of Hakel. So Omad Darash Basa, tell me, what did they say about this? It's like pulling teeth. Mm-hmm. You know, so tell me, so what, what did they say about Hakel? So the Talmudim finally said, the Pasik says, Hakel Asa'am Ha'anoshim Anoshim Ataf. So the Pasik says, by Hakel, Gather the nation, the men, the women, and the children. I understand the men come to learn. The women come to listen. Why do the children come? Right? Meaning, I understand men and women are adults. They each have meaningful experiences when they hear the king teach Torah. Why is the children? Why, why are the children coming? I've also listened to how beautiful this is. To give reward to those who bring them. Well, say, or in other words, right? so the parent gets reward for bringing the child. I will say, I'll tell you something so beautiful that I once saw in the Marali brings this down. It means that ultimately, again, what's, so what reward, what reward do you get for bringing your child to Hakel? So the Maharal says, you know what? That if you expose your child to Torah, if you expose your child to Kedusha, if you surround your child with positive influences, you will get the schar. The schar will come. What will be the schar? The schar will come in a well-adjusted, holy child who always wants more kiddusha in life. But if you think that that starts at the age of education, when they come into school, it's not true. So much of the way our children grow up is all about the influences we surround them with even before they're even aware of what it is that's going on. If I blanket my child in an atmosphere of kedusha, then I, I will get the schar. I, as the parent, will get the schar when I see ultimately, again, what they grow up in. And the opposite is true also. Children pick up on negative influences so quickly, even though parents often think that their kids don't know what's going on, like they're shielding their kids from certain things. Every parent knows it's pushed not True. Life, positive parenting is all about blanketing your child in positive spiritual experiences. I go ahead and I bring my child to Hakel. What is the kid going to be doing the whole time? Right. Are we done yet? Right. Right. Is the king, the king still speaking? Where's the candy man? Right. So remember, we're, no, we're not talking about little stuff. They can go sit there, like their mouths wide open, drinking in every single word. The kids, they're going to be running around the base of Mikdash. They're going to be climbing up poles. They're going to be this, they're going to be that. But all of that is okay. Why? Because what you've done is you've given them a positive spiritual experience, and you, the parent, will get the schar. He goes on. 
The Gemara says, so we'll say, listen to how beautiful this is. This is amazing. So remember, Rabbi Yoshua just got this out of the of the of his Talmidim, of Rabbi Yochanan ben Baroka and Rabbi Elazar. So he just he just got this out. So look what he says, we'll say it's amazing. So he says, Margulis Amrlahem, Margulis Tova Haisabiatchem. You had this beautiful jewel, this beautiful gem in your mouth. Ubikashtem la abdami many and you are going to hold it back from me. Meaning that he's saying, I had to pull teeth to get this out of you. And you were going to, well, say another very important episode, you know, we sit here and we learn, and we learn the wee hours of the morning. And I will say, sometimes it's imp- we forget, like this is a treasure. It's an absolute treasure. Every single word, every single line, every single dot is such a magnificent treasure. Sometimes it becomes a little bit boring or talks about things that we don't know what it's talking about. It's not associated. But again, this is such a, it's important to remind ourselves that here you have Rabbi Yoshi, you can imagine the scene. He's sitting at his table on Sukkis and he's like smiling ear to ear because he just feels like he's won a million dollars because he heard a new concept in Torah that he never heard before. That's what it means. We, we each, we strike the lottery every single day when we learn Torah. He goes on, Furthermore, he dashes, it seems to be that once they started quoting this, so now they say to the Rebbe everything else Rebbe Elzebun Azari said in the yeshiva that day, The Pasuk literally means, you have praised HaKadosh Baruch or as Hashem ha'amarta hayom, you have praised God today. Vashem ha'amir hayom, and God has praised you today. What does that mean? Amalim akadosh baruch hu Yisrael. God said to the Jewish people, Atem asisuni chativa achas ba'olam. You have made me a singular object worthy of praise. Meaning, you have singled me out for praise in the world. Va'ani ase eschem chativa achas ba'olam, and I will single you out for special praise in this world as well. Atem asisuni chativa achas ba'olam. You have made me. You have singled me out for praise in this world. Because say, what does the pasuk say? So, what does Shema Yisrael Shem Echad mean? That ultimately, again, Klai Yisrael says, Klai Yisrael says to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, right? Hero is Hakadosh Baruch Hu is one. So we accept the fact that the Ribbonu Shel Olam is the one and only God for us. I will make you. I will make you a singular, a singular item worthy of praise in this world. This Baruch who says, who is like the nation of Israel, a singular nation on the face of the earth. Furthermore, he said, So we'll say over here, he quotes the Pasuk. Quotes the Pasuk. From from Kohelas, which literally means the following: the words of the Chachamim, the words of the Chachamim are kidarvonos. Darvonos, I will say, is a goad. So you know what a goad is? It's like um like an axe goad. It's a stick. It's a stick with something sharp on the end of it. That in order to prod the cattle, in order to prod the cow. So what happens? So the words of Chachamim are like goads, ukemas maros and like nails, and like nails that are planted. Ba'ale asufos nos echad. The literally those who gather, those who gather in gatherings, have received their teachings from the one shepherd. So, what is this talking about? Excuse me. Why are words of Torah compared to a goad? Lomar lechad to teach us. Mad darbanze mechaven esapor 
What's the point of the goat? The point of the goat is to keep the ox, is to keep the ox on target so that what's that it plows and vegetation life is able to come forth. So Torah say, what's the point of Torah? Such an important yesod. What's the point of Torah? Torah, the words of the Chachamim, are literally what? They're like a goat. What's the point? to keep us on the straight and narrow so that ultimately, again, we could also go ahead and it deters us from the dark and misa, from the ways of death, ultimately again to the ways of life. So I might have thought that just as the darvan, the goad, is movable. So so to again, the words of Torah movable. Meaning I will say, to me, just like the goad changes over time, so me Torah changes over time. Tamalomar mismoros. Therefore, it also calls it like a nail. Because I will say, what happens when you embed a nail in something? It remains there. I but imam misamer zeh chaser velo yeser. I, but if that's the case, again, I could say just like this nail, just like this nail, what happens to a nail over time? So a nail over time, ultimately, again, it diminishes. It becomes more deficient, but it never increases. So to perhaps Torah diminishes over time and does not, and does not increase. Therefore, it says the words of Torah like they are planted. Just like I will say something that is planted, Ultimately, again, it, it flourishes. It flourishes and blossoms. Af divrei Torah parin veravin. So too, I will say the words of Torah have it a way of multiplying as well. The Torah is a living, breathing, organic entity that ultimately, again, has something to say for every single aspect of our life. It's like a living, breathing thing that is constantly blossoming. Bale asufos, who are the men who gather in groups. Elu tamidi chachamim. This refers to Torah scholars. Shiyoshvin asufos asufos vaoskin v'torah. They literally sit in groups and they engage in Torah. I said, "This is amazing." So, what happens when a group of talmidei chacham sit and learn? Halalu mitamin v'halalu mitarin. So say, what happens? So you have this group and they're discussing a particular issue. And this group says that the item is tar. This group says that the item is tame. Halalu osrin v'halalu matirin. Right? This group says that the item is motor. This group says the item is, is, is azasar. Halalu poslin v'halalu machshirin. Right? This one says it's posl. This one says it's kosher. So I say, so look at the Gemara. says, Shema yomar adam heich ani lame Torah. Right, me'ata, so the person will say, how am I ever supposed to learn anything? Right? Everything is always a machlokas, right? Everything is always a dispute. So how am I ever, right? It's true, right? How am I ever supposed to know exactly what to do? Talmud Lomar, kulam nasnu miroa echad. Therefore, the Pasuk tells us everything was given to us from one shepherd. Kel echad nasnan, one God gave it to us. Parnes echad amran, one shepherd, the Ribbon Shom told it to us. And he, that shepherd, Moshe Rabbeinu, received it from the master, from the master of all creation. Listen to this. Make your ear like a mill. We'll discuss what that means in just a moment. Make your ear like a mill. And acquire for yourself an understanding heart. Listen to the words of the ones who say that the item is tame. Listen to the words of the ones who say the item is tar. As divrei osrin. If the ones who say that it's osr, as divrei matirin. The ones who say that it's mutter. As divrei poslin. The ones who say that it's possible. As divrei as divrei machshir. So we'll say. So what does this mean? This is really a very dramatic gemara. First of all, if you take a look at Rashi, Rashi says over here. Rashi says, 
No, he doesn't define. He defined it similar what that mill was. What does he need to make yourself like a mill? I will say, what does a mill do? A mill goes ahead and you put in all the stuff and it grinds it out. What the Gemara is suggesting over here, I will say, is what do you have to do in life? In life and in Judaism, you have to ingest all of the information and then what? Grind it out and try to figure out ultimately again what it is that you should do. So I'll say, it's a very important episode that, you know, what's interesting is that halacha, halacha empowers us to really go through the process of understanding what it is that we are doing. So the beautiful part is, yes, we have many machloksim, many machloksim, but at the end of the day, halacha it is our job to sift through all of the information, which all comes from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and to try to figure out ultimately, again, what it is that is correct. We have to, we have to make our ear, literally make your ear, like kefar ches, like the mill, like the mill, make your heart understanding, process all the information, and try to arrive at the conclusion. So, you know, it's interesting that, uh, just as an aside, that, you know, we, we, have a, we have a Mishnah in Avos that says, Ukenei l'charav. Ukenei l'charav. So, means person should have a Rebbe. So, it's interesting that um, Rav Shmuel Uzida, in the Medjur Shmuel, says, what does Ukenei l'charav means? Ukenei l'charav, make yourself into the Rav. What does he mean about saying? That really, that really, it's not, yes, we all have to ask Shilas and we all have to go ahead and have a Rebbe, but part of Judaism is we are supposed to engage in the process as well. That I'm supposed to try to understand the truth. I'm supposed to engage in the research. I'm supposed to engage in the process. I'm supposed to try to understand as well. Make yourself the Rav as well. I mean, I know a lot of people who do that, right? But, right? but, but again, but, but the idea is that even if I can't be the final arbiter, and even if I'm not necessarily knowledgeable enough to make the final decision, at least at the end of the day, I have to try hard to have that discerning ear, to have that ear that's like a mill, and that discerning heart. Okay, the Gemara goes weiter. So, we'll say this is amazing. So now, Rabbi Yoshua says to his Talmidim, now remember, the Talmidim just said to Rabbi Yoshua all this stuff that they just heard in the base Medrash from Rabbi Yoshua ben Azariah. And after hearing this, Rabbi Yoshua says that a generation that has, a generation that has Rabbi Yoshua ben Azariah, such a generation is not an orphaned generation. I Meaning he marveled at Rabbi Yoshua ben Azariah's beautiful Torah. This Sanya. I'm sorry. So now the Gemara goes back to the beginning of the story. So as we saw that Rabbi Yoshua, it was like pulling teeth to try to get his Talmidin to tell him what they learned in the base Medrash. So why don't they just tell him? I mean, what, what, what is the big deal? When you show up, you're going to show up, you know your Rebbe's going to want to know what you learned today. Why don't you just tell him? So says, I'll tell you, I'm Shemai Sashai, because of an episode that occurred. What happened? Desanya, Maaseh Rabbi Yosef ben Dermaskis. You're supposed to listen to this. There was once an episode of Rabbi Yosef ben Dermaskis. Shaholach lahakbil. He went to go visit his Rebbe, Rebbe Lazar, on, on Sukkis, in Lud. So he asked, Rabbi Lazar asked his Tam, Rabbi Yossi ben Dormaskis, tell me what Chiddush did they make in the base Medrash? They decided in the base Medrash today, that in the lands of Amon and Moab, if Jews were living in the lands of Amon and Moab, then what? Uh, even during a Shemitah year, they take Maestro Ani. They take the tithe for the part. Well, so now, what does that tell you? Essentially, that's another way of saying that the laws of Shemitah do not apply in the lands of Ammon and Moab. That the lands of Ammon and Moab do not have Eretz Yisrael sanctity. Amr so, so listen to this. So Rebbe Lazar gets angry. So Rebbe Lazar says, Yossi, 
Stretch out your hands and, and literally receive your eyes. And I'll say, now what, now what does that mean? If you look at Rashi, And I'll say, so what, what Rabbi was saying was, he got angry. Why did he get angry? Because here, here, Rabbi Yossi is giving credit to this basin for enacting this takana, and already again, that takana existed long ago. So literally, he says, Rabbi Lazar, excuse me, Yossi, Rabbi Yossi, because of what you did, literally, you're going to become blind. So Rabbi Yossi ben Damascus accepted the words of his rabbi, and he became blind. Rabbi said this in the heat of the moment. After he realized what he said, he began to cry. The secrets of God are ultimately known to those who fear him. Ubriso and his covenant are those to whom make it known. We'll see what that means in just a moment. So he says, so now Rabbi Lazar says to Rabbi Yossi, Ben Damascus, he says, go and tell back, go, go back. And tell the Rabbanim in the base manager that you were just in. Don't, don't, don't think that you are the ones who just enacted this. This is the Masora I have from my Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. Who he heard it from his Rabbi. And his Rabbi from his Rabbi. That's what? That in the in this lands of Ammon and Moab, they take Maiser Ani in the Shemitah year, meaning that we don't observe the Shemitah rules in the lands of Ammon and Moab. Why not? Matan, Rabbi listen to this. Remember again, there are two times that we, so to speak, conquered the land. The first time was under Yoshua, what we call Kibush Rishon, Kibush Ole Mitzrayim, those who came up from Egypt, we conquered the land. And then again, remember, we were exiled after the destruction of the first base of Mekdash, and then came back again and, quote unquote, reconquered or resanctified the land afterwards. So what happened? The Gemara says, there are many cities that we conquered the first time when we came from Mitzrayim that we did not conquer the second time when we came back from Babel. Because again, the first the kedusha, the first space amikdash, was not a permanent kedusha. The kedusha only existed when the temple stood. When the temple did not stand, that kedusha went away. And therefore, in order to revest the areas with kedusha, they would actively have to go and be and remekadesh it. So here's what's interesting. What the Gemara is saying over here is the following. When we came from Mitzrayim to Eretz Yisrael the first time, we come into Eretz Yisrael, remember the lands of Ammon and Moab are the lands of Sichon and Og. We conquered those lands. We conquered those lands. And what happened to those lands? Once we came into Eretz Yisrael proper, those lands were vested with Eretz Yisrael Kedusha, which means that for the entire period of the first temple era, what, what happened? What happened? That land was vested with, that was Eretz Yisrael. However, again, w- but when we came back for the second base Amikdosh, we did not revest those lands with Kedusha. Why not? Well, so it's very interesting. So that the poor should have a source of sustenance during the Shemitah year. Both say meaning that if the laws of Shemitah, if you don't revest the lands of Ammon and Moab with Kedusha, then what does that mean? They don't have Eretz Yisrael sanctity. And if they don't have Eretz Yisrael sanctity, then what? Then the say again, you could work them on the Shemitah year. And if you could work them on the Shemitah year, then what? Then they provide a source of sustenance for the poor during the Shemitah year. So the Gemara says, 
Tana. So we'll say, therefore, what's happening over here is Rabbi Elazar was upset that Rabbi Yossi ben Dermaskis told him that the members of the base Medrash took, uh, took credit for this Takana, when in fact this Takana predated them by many years. When Rabbi Lazar calmed down a little bit, so what happened? He davened that the eyesight of Yossi ben Dermaskis should be restored, and indeed, indeed, it was restored. All right, so I'll say, now we go back to the Gemara. What's the definition of a shota? Right? What, what makes a shota? Obviously, we say a deranged person. There has to be some definition for this state. What is a shota? So the Gemara answers, Someone, for example, who goes out alone at night. Thank you. Who goes out alone at night. Because also, again, remember, that was considered to be dangerous. It's considered to be dangerous going out at night alone. So someone who clearly does not care for his personal safety. Balon Vesakvaras, someone who sleeps in the cemetery. Hello, Vesakvaras. Vamakaras Ksuso, or someone who tears his clothing for no reason. Look at Rashi just a moment. Ezu Shota. Who is this Shota that we said in all places is normally Pata from Mitzvos? Mina Onesh, and from responsibility, from punishment. Ve'ain Kinyon or Kinyon. What he acquires is not an acquisition. Ve'ain Memkar Mimkar. And what he sells is not a proper transaction. So his definition of a Shota. So the Gemara says again, someone who goes out alone at night has no regard for his personal safety. Someone who sleeps in the cemetery, which is just weird just weird, unexplainable behavior, and someone who tears his clothing engages in destructive acts for no, for no real reason. So the Gemara says, Itmar Rafuna Amar, Rafuna says, This is very interesting. Rafuna says, it's, you see, when we read this, first thing I'm about to say, what does it sound like? It sounds like if you do one from this category of behaviors, you are a shota. Rafuna says, no, it's not just do one, but rather what? You have to go ahead and do all of them. Rabbi Achas normally means at the same time. It doesn't literally mean at the same time over here, but it means is you have to engage in all of these activities. You have to, so a definition of a shota is someone who goes out alone at night, tears his clothing for no reason, and sleeps in the cemetery. Someone who exhibits these three behaviors is a shota, but apparently if you just did one of them, you might be weird, but that doesn't make you a shota. So the Gemara says, I'm Rabbi Yochanan, no, Afilu Ba'achas, man. Rabbi Yochanan says, not true. Even if you only did one of these actions, that is enough to categorize you as a shota. So the says, what's the case? Hey, dummy. If it's clear that the person is engaging in one of these behaviors, out of shtus, because literally, because he's deranged, then you're right, afilu bechadonami. Therefore, even one of these behaviors should be enough to categorize me as a, as a shote. If I didn't, if I did these actions, but it's clear that it's not because of derechshus, it's not because I'm deranged. Then the mice again, even if I did all of them, that should not make me a shote. I mean, I will say, if I had a reason for doing these things, then at the end of the day, again, even if I did all three, it doesn't make me a shote. To which the Gemara says, Li'olam in reality, the cases where I'm doing these things but even though I'm doing it interestingly enough, there is a way to explain each of these behaviors. How could I explain the behaviors? Why would a person sleep in the cemetery? In order that a spirit of impurity envelop them. What does it mean? What does it mean? Look at Rashi. I want to be a sorcerer. 
right, I want to be a sorcerer. The rabbinate didn't work out, right? I want to be a sorcerer. So right, what, what happens? So how do you go ahead? How do you learn kishuf? So apparently, again, if you sleep in the cemetery, there are all types of there are all types of spirits of impurity in the cemetery. So a person feels, let me sleep there. I'll be enveloped by this, and you know, I'm ordered, you know, I want to be a sorcerer. So again, I will say one could say that the act of sleeping in the cemetery ultimately, again, does have a positive, constructive purpose, or. <laughs> Or or a person goes out alone at night. Amor gandrifas achte. It could be that a person is seized by gandrifos. And I will say, what is gandrifos? So again, Rashi will see actually on the on the next. If you look you look at Rashi, uh, at the end of that Rashi, he says gandrifos. We'll say gandrifos could be almost anxiety. Anxiety. A person suffers from anxiety. And sometimes when a person suffers from anxiety, what do they need? They just need a little bit of air. They need just to get out of the house a little bit. Or it could be, she says, I think it means that person gets a fever. Kadifus could be a fever. What happens when they get a fever? They need to cool down a little bit. They need the fresh air. So I might have thought that even though the act of going out at night, by definition, is an act of shtus, but a person could have a good reason for it. Or... Or hamakareas kisuso, or a person goes out and tears his clothing. Amar bal machshavas Right? I might have thought that again, if a person tears his clothing, that what? Maybe he's just preoccupied with something else. He's just not thinking about what he's doing, and therefore he tears his clothing. But lav dafka, it's an act of shtus. However, kevan daavdinu lekulu. But once you've done all of these things, tap of dalid kimishenagach shor chamar vegamol v'naaset muad lekol. But I will say again, once a person goes ahead and what? Once a person goes ahead. Once a person does all of these things, so we'll say it's like an ox that gored an ox, a camel, and a donkey. We'll say, now what does that mean? Just very quickly, because of time. You know, the halacha is that a shor becomes a muad, right? If a shor is a tam, let's say an ox scores another ox. So again, it's considered to be, uh, it's not a habitual offender, and therefore it only pays a certain amount of damages. Once an ox has gored three times, it's already muad. It's already considered to be a habitual offender. And therefore the mice, it has to pay a heightened level of damages. We'll say, but again, in order for a shor to become a muad, it doesn't have to gore the same kind of animal three times. So, if, for example, if an ox gores the first time another ox, the second time a donkey, the third time a camel, that is still called what? That's still called a muad. So, I'll say, if a person, what the Gemara is suggesting over here is if a person engages in these three types of behaviors, he sleeps in the cemetery, he goes for a walk, he tears his clothing, even though, again, it's not repeating the same behavior over and over again, that is enough to what? Make him a shota. Look at the tap rashi, Skip down a little bit. He says, he says, Afkan lo mishum shtus. So again, ultimately, again, a person does not need to go ahead and do all of these things at once. mishum shtus. So what the Gemara is suggesting over here is the fundamental dispute. According to According to Rafuna, in order for a person to be categorized as a shota, a person literally has to do all of these things. Tear my clothing, sleep in the cemetery, and uh, go, out, go out alone at night. According to Rabbi Yochanan, according to Rabbi Yochanan, all you need to do is one of them. And the Chiddush over here is that what? Even though these things could technically speaking be explained, be explained as being normal, rational behavior, if you see that it's operating out of the context of shtus, 
even just engaging in one of these behaviors is enough to classify a person as a shodah. We'll continue in Mirat Hashem. We're not finished with this machlokas. This machlokas will extend tomorrow. We'll pick up again second line of Dalit Ahmed Aleph tomorrow. We'll say just a reminder that tonight at 8 o'clock, begins our, it's actually going to start probably a little bit more like 8.05, is the Emirates Hashem going to begin the Daf Yomi Chabura, which is an opportunity, again, to focus on different topics from the Daf in a more comprehensive Eon, a more in-depth way, you know, part of the downside of Dafyomi, there are no downsides of Dafyomi. The only potential, if one was looking, if one had a negative outlook on life and was looking for <laughs> something negative to find about Dafyomi, we go quickly and we don't have an opportunity to really delve into a lot of the fascinating topics. So this Chabura, which will occur every single week, gives us the opportunity to really delve into certain topics in a more in a more comprehensive, thought-provoking way. So that's going to happen at Mirat Hashem Thursday nights. The first Chabura tonight is going to be given by Maishi Abramson. So again, it's going to be here in the base Medrash at night, and I think it's really tonight. It's going to be 8 o'clock. And remember again, there is a late Marev, Amir Hashem. In terms of the Ramam, just in terms of the Ravens game versus... Is there a Ravens game? Right, so again, remember, right, the decision you make, t- I don't want to put any pressure, right, but the decision you make tonight could tell, tilt, the, t- could tilt the scales. And it's not just your scales, but remember, again, it's the scales of the Medina, and ultimately, again, the st- scales of the world. But, but otherwise, don't feel pressure, right? But uh, again, and remember, again, there is a late Mariv, Emirat Hashem, at 9 o'clock. Will there be pizza? Right. You could bring pizza. I come up with